So Kevin, third time on the show. How you doing? Not doing too bad. How's that boulder on bubble paper? Life? A uh, little older than the last time, even though it was just a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it was more than a couple of weeks ago. It's been, uh, I can't remember. We recorded a couple months ago yeah. and then, uh, it wasn't that much longer than it went live, but it just seems like, uh, uh, the year's going by faster and faster as it finally falls off a cliff as it needs to. Maybe it's just because the days are getting shorter right now and there's more and more darkness. Yeah, it's funny because that doesn't really bother me, but I uh, I still reduce my activity on account of, I mean, when I say it doesn't bother me, like I don't think consciously, oh, the days are short, it's going to be cold. But it nevertheless, you know, has an impact like any other physical element, like cold or wind, like I can't completely ignore it. So yeah. I make sure uh, I do most of my running in the middle of the day. It's pretty easy to get natural sunlight around here, no matter how cold it is. And to be honest, the colder it is, I mean, the more it drives other people inside. And the fewer people I see on the paths, I mean, nothing against anybody, but obviously if they're not crowded, it's better for everybody, especially when it's icy and People want to use electric skateboards anyway. Can't get around that. Yeah, we have the opposite Ice. opposite problem here. It's nice temps down here in the winter in Arizona. And then in the summer, everybody leaves because it's too hot. So then you kind of have all the trails to yourself at that point. Yeah, there got to be a lot of 10 p.m. runners down there. It's either 4 a.m. Um, or like 10 p.m. Yeah, 4 a.m. is just never a good time to run no matter <laughs> what. It's still too close to the middle of the night for miscreants to be out. And if you anybody who gets up that early is just going to, even if you run every day, I would hate my life. It just wouldn't, it would be so bad to get up that early that whatever it added to my quality of life couldn't come close to compensating for getting up at the, it's just ridiculously early. Yeah. You don't even get the dopamine hit from the, from the sunlight and stuff. You're just up in the dark, running in the dark. And then I don't know, it's just miserable. I'm not a fan of it. That's for sure. I, most people I know who get up super early on purpose to run, um, I don't want to say they're necessarily miserable, but they're not really happy about the running. They're mm -hmm. people who are dedicated because they know they need to do it because they then go to a job, like a government job for 10 straight hours that they absolutely loathe. And if they didn't do that first in the morning in the dark, they know they would just hate it more. So hats off to them for doing that instead of, you know, popping some Adderall and trying to deal in some other way. Oh, man. Agreed. I guess um, since we last spoke, a lot has happened. Um, I guess we wanted to mainly talk about like free speech type stuff today here in the States. And like Elon bought Twitter. There's been the Twitter files, um, the whole Kanye debacle. I know it's kind of old news, but the Twitter thing's ongoing. And it's been really interesting, I guess, because we both kind of like a journalism background. And here we are watching all this unfold. And it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I'm not sure the Kanye West thing is really old news. There have simply been some um, some funny, I mean, the news thing, news parts aren't funny, but some unintended, uh, there's some pretty, been some pretty big stories in the aftermath of that that are pertinent to some of Kanye's outbursts, um, you know, quite apart from Kanye West. So it's just been funny to watch the coverage, you know, pretty predictably wax and wane around certain things. Yeah, the big thing, though, has been you know, the Twitter files. And as, you know, we talked about a little bit, uh, you know, privately, I guess, people, uh, there, there are 10 different takes. I don't mean 10 different opinions. I mean, there are 10 different things people can focus on when it comes to the Twitter files. Uh, 
I'm going to assume most people that are watching this are familiar with what I'm talking about. But the most alarming thing by far to me has been, you know, the granular element um, or the granular level of involvement with the FBI and all these other, not just three-letter government agencies, but NGOs and these agencies that just kind of blur the line because they have so many, you know, government, you know, former senators and Congress people involved on their boards. I mean, it's just a revolving door between Congress and these think tanks anyway and banks. Um, so Twitter has been hit by private interests as well as directly from the FBI, you know, for all this flag content. Um, now, a lot of people want to talk about whether Elon Musk has these or that motives or whether he's being consistent with his free speech. I don't even care. I want to, you know, mechanistically, we know what is happening. I don't care about his motives or his consistency um, at this point. You know, he's not the main figure in this. The stuff that's coming out and uh, the journalists themselves, um, Matt Taibbi, I love him. Michael Schellenberger, if you're familiar with him at all, he's pretty good. Um, I forget who he used to write for in the mainstream media, but he's got a sub stack. Barry Weiss, she has a good collective side. I don't like her at all. She's actually pretty anti-free speech historically. You know, she's um, very much, uh, she's sort of pro-Israel to the point where she's been really hostile toward Palestinians. I mean, you could arguably say she's been racist. And that was a big part of her history when she was at Columbia. So she's got a, you know, her, her collective sort of substack uh, was called Common Sense until recently, and now it's been rebranded as the Free Press. I'm like, well, um, but my point here is that I don't care that she's doing the reporting here on this because she can report accurately. She's a flavorless writer, but I don't care. Uh, the content that's coming out, um, you know, it's been very revealing in that the mainstream media accounts on Twitter have been uniformly, and in some cases, using the very same language, attacking the journalists for doing this when all they did was expose the fact that a true story about a major figure, Hunter Biden, which did relate to, to Joe Biden, had been suppressed. All those same figures were responsible for suppressing. It wasn't just Twitter. It was, you know, that misreporting in the Times and political everywhere. They just said it was Russian disinformation, according to all these intelligence sources. So... But it's not just that these journalists now on Twitter that are attacking Taibbi and others for the Twitter files, it's not that they feel that they were punked or scooped or wrong, which they were. The fact is they were wrong on purpose, and they're saying what they're saying now for that reason is because that is actually their job. They are mouthpieces, just like Glenn Greenwald says. I know it sounds like it's nutso, but they just carry... CAA narratives to the airwaves, and um, they put obvious proven liars on there to to send these talking points out, and that's that's the landscape we're in now. I mean, you can find all this footage that confirms it all. Uh, so you have all these figures in the New York Times, from uh, NBC News, all of them jumping on Taibbi, especially him, but also Barry Weiss. And uh, saying this is old news, and they, they're just making things up. I mean, they're making things up that they obviously didn't say 
just a couple of years ago, you know, when this was a real thing. So it looks like they're jumping on Taibi out of professional jealousy. Now, in some aspect, that might be true because some of these people may have at one point wanted to be journalists. None of these people working for the major media outlets are actual journalists anymore. They are stenographers for the intelligence services and the White House narratives. Um, and we know this more now because of these Twitter files. If you've looked at it, some of the screenshots are just incredible, just absolutely incredible. They uh, they went after James Wood so hard. It was like a separate, um, the people that are writing, you know, the Twitter file stuff themselves just have like a whole in-joke about the treatment of James Woods um, because they were so fixated on him, you know, and uh, so... And again, let's say Twitter wanted to be a far left company and simply not own up to that. Do they have the right to do that? Sure. But did they have the right? Well, does the government have the right to basically give them orders? This is a clear First Amendment violation and a clear First Amendment failure by the press. And it's really disturbing to me. This isn't about the press not doing its job or being cowards or being shills and taking money. It's the fact that if the mainstream media is entirely in coordination with what the government wants. We don't live in a free, I mean, it's, we live in a corrupt country. It's that simple. We are living in a corrupt country. And I don't know, you know, if I would have said that five years ago, but I think the biggest consequence of Donald Trump's presidency isn't anything that he did. It was the fact that he got elected against uh, the will of huge, you know, everybody that really mattered. And, you know, as far as power players. And they went after him hard. I mean, I admit he's a buffoon. I never liked him. Um, I couldn't be made to like him. You know, he just, he, everything he says, it makes sense. Unfortunately, you know, he, he has to code it with some kind of shit that just makes it repugnant. But, and for that reason, no one's ever really going to listen to him. But, uh, but they've made him look 10 times worse than he ever was. I mean, they just started making a blind. But anyway, I think that things really started to go badly early in his presidency, when the New York Times basically came out with an editorial that says, we have a different job now. We're basically stewards of decency. And from then on, they just started lying. They just were openly anti-Trump and like, well, you know, we have to get him out here because, you know, he sucks. And I admit, I had voted against Donald Trump twice, but I am 10 times more, uh, I mean, I, it wouldn't have mattered now. I, I can't imagine things would be going worse than they are under anybody. But uh, that aside, it bothers me far more that people are just watching all this stuff happen, watching all this corruption happen, and instead just choosing to take sides over it uh, instead of stopping to consider what might happen if the other side had the censorship power. I spent a lot of time during the George Bush administration, uh, you know, he was a two-termer, Usually when Republican presidents get elected, the Christian right enjoys an immediate ascendancy. And they start barking about, you know, wanting to get creationism taught in schools, you know, which is as useful as having drag queen hour. Although drag, at least with trying to teach creationism, I mean, it's wrong, but at least you're teaching like a coherent story that people can follow. You know, it's, it's not just wasting an entire hour with just weird weirdness. But anyway, you know, anytime... Uh, my point is, if a Republican president gets elected again, the apparatus that's now being used, uh, you know, to favor 
leftist type, you know, LGBTQ, whatever, to a parodic extent. What happens if the Christian right wants to start censoring people and um, taking down like biological evolution, like taking down like atheist YouTube channels on principle, um, taking down, well, basically everything that the left knows, but stuff people haven't even thought about, you know, gradually. Um, I mean, I can't see. I can't see a Republican president getting elected again because I don't even know what elections are going to look like two years from now. Um, and I can't see the media ever being, you know, the mainstream media sort of falling into the hands of the religious right. You know, uh, but so what I'm talking about, to some extent, probably couldn't fully happen. But, um, you know, the... The point I'm making, obviously, is that when you're talking about First Amendment stuff, when you're talking about shutting down ideas, that is the first thing that anyone can use against you. They know what your ideas are. They know what you dislike. They know what they need to amplify. Um, and I know now how well propaganda works because people who I thought were pretty discerning humans um, on the political left, a lot of them have simply had their minds turned to mush by constantly watching CNN and MSNBC. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, some of the things that people believe, it's just they might as well, um, you know, what they're typing, they might as well be watching CNN and MSNBC Chirons. They're, they're not even half original thoughts that I hear. I'm like, oh. so this stuff works. And this is not a country uh, somehow filled with 330 million people with brains, you know, magically resistant to propaganda or leaders who are magically just decent enough to not actually be despots and thieves and not worry about killing poor people. Because, of course, they don't care. I mean, um, what do you think would happen if... What do you think would happen to reporting? I'm trying to keep this on speech. Reporting about murders in South Chicago, if the murder rate suddenly rose in like Greenwich, Connecticut, to one-tenth the level that it is in Chicago, or if murder... I mean... It's impossible to contend that the government especially cares about anyone or black people when you look at ongoing violence that they could specifically address. They don't care when it's mostly black on black violence. They don't care about Jackson, Mississippi, because it's an internal problem with mostly people of color leading the city uh, responsible for some of that corruption. But there's no reason for 200,000 people to not have drinking water. How long has this gone on and nobody seems to care? Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And I think really like what the last few months have not kind of told us, but reiterated and confirmed is that anyone who works the mainstream media or an alphabet agency and obviously the feds, they're all just colluding together. So it's like whether you work at Twitter or you work at the New York Times, you work, say, you're Jen Psaki or whatever, you're just a propagandist. That's all you are. And like, we all knew this. But I think it's become very clear now, and the Twitter files are showing that. I think that's why all these like so-called journalists are up in arms right now because they're they probably noticed their hypocrisy, and they, I don't, know, they kind of have to like save face a little bit, but they're they can't. <laughs> I think there's a big difference between the reporters at those outlets who are under, you know, whatever under forty, especially under thirty. You know, the younger, the more pronounced this is. Um. And the few that are left that have been there for a couple decades that haven't just been forced out uh, because people who 
want to be earnest reporters. You know, a lot of people are still working at those outlets who want to be earnest reporters, or at least at one point did. They can't be. They can't be there. They're hacks. And I guess, you know, they have resolved this in their minds the same way I guess I would try to is to say, well, the money's good. The prestige is good. I have access to government, you know, sources that substackers never will, even though those people have built their entire audiences with no advertisements, people willingly paying them. The, these people working for the MSM hate that. They hate that. They absolutely hate that there's nothing they can do to keep people who have built their own audience um, willing to pay them for their reporting with no clutter, no interference, no commercials, um, you know, intrusion. I mean, it's, I guess there are some people in the MSM who don't see their job as being anything other than liars, right? Because they may have come of political, if they're in their 20s, they have probably only come of political age when Trump was running for president. And all they've known is a media that um, bashes the right, is controlled by the left, and that it's morally just to bash the right. There's a lot of people who are teenagers, you know, people in their 20s now, that's the only thing they've they've seen. And so it's harder for them to conceive of a world where they may not have that cancel power. They've had it, you know, they, if you were 16 years old when Me Too came along, it's sort of been a an ongoing surfing of, you know, different movements that guarantee that you can sort of say what you want unopposed. Um, you know, so... Yeah, the main thing that bothers me is that there is no apparent way at this point to stop the commingling of all corporate media, left and right. I mean, what Rupert Murdoch owns, the, the Wall Street Journal, obviously Fox. Um, you know, I forget who owns CNN now. They, you know, they've tried to make a pivot toward real news, and all it's done is made them fire. Like, who's that talking potato guy? Brian Stilzer. You know, they got rid of him. They're losing viewers because they're trying to steer away from propaganda, but not they're still a wreck. Um, you know, all these outlets are going to continue to reach viewers because and I see this because I recently posted a graphic on my site, you know, one of many surveys. Uh, this one was from Axios, and I think it was earlier this year, maybe, about Americans' trust in in print and television, you know, journalism. One is 13% and the other is 11% and it had been dropping for a long time. I mean, at this rate, it'll just be zero by some the next Christmas for both. And yet people, um, people like my parents, especially my mom, they watch these channels and then they see people like me saying, here's why you shouldn't do that. And I'll link to like a YouTube video of Rachel Maddow just obviously lying about vaccines and their efficacy, just lying. It's still up there. You know, how many subscribers does she have? How many million, you know, MSNBC on that channel? But, um, and somehow sort of agree with what I'm saying and, and sort of want to come along a certain distance, you know, in their thinking, but they refuse to concede that they might just be um, watching people flat out lie to them. Maybe they think, well, yeah, it's partisan. Uh, maybe they slip up here and there and they don't get it right. I mean, just like, you know, Dr. Fauci said, you know, the science can change. And uh, so 
<clears throat> I think it's mostly, um, you know, rooted in Trump hatred that cancels out basically all other forms of thinking. And I think Trump derangement syndrome, it's actually, you know, it's a real thing. I think it ought to be in the DSM. That's a different thing. But uh, it's clouded people's thinking. That combined with, um, you know, I, I guess my point is people will say they mistrust the media, but maybe too many people think they're like the one exception, like they're the one person who's not being fooled. And what they're seeing is, well, the truth was in the, you know, they just got the right story anyway. But they don't because then they just repeat the same exact stuff. It, it, it's almost like trying to tell someone that, you know, the capital of North Dakota is Bismarck. And they say, no, it's Fargo. And I say, well, you can go look it up. And I give them the Wikipedia link or Globe, you know, and five minutes later, they come back and they say, yeah, no, you're right. So anyway, you know, Bismarck is the capital of North Dakota. And they just go on. And it's just like, well, why didn't you stop that intellectual train, you know, for more than a couple seconds and register something? You know, what's going on? So. I guess as long as the government is disinvolved with the media and the media is this effective at reaching a huge audience and convincing them um, that they're mostly right or mostly correct, then this problem has no boundaries. It can just keep getting worse and worse. It can. It, there's no bottom on it until, um, you know, if people are complacent about the fact that whole YouTube channels about accurate COVID information from award-winning scientists were just being vanished namelessly, um, then, you know, that's that's what's going to keep happening. I mean, I don't know any real way to stop it, but it would be nice if more people were just screaming and yelling about it and, and acknowledging that it's happening. So. And one thing I want to add, jumping a little one side, it's the irony of us having this conversation about free speech. And we've touched on the sim similar issues before. You know, if it were up to us, I mean, this is kind of an echo chamber in itself, you know, that you and I are just talking to each other. I mean, not in the sense that we agree about everything, but in the sense that we're trying that we have the same goal, but it's not, um, it's not, uh, I mean, other people can watch this. But we don't have, you know, we're talking to each other in a way that's just complete empathy on both sides. And if it were up to us, that wouldn't be the case. I mean, I don't know how many guests you actually get for every 10 who disagree with you, um, who who turn you down, that you invite, you know, who don't politically agree or sus suspicious of your motives or whatever. Um, but you probably get a lot of turndowns. So... What I'm hoping is to, you know, say what I say today in a way that people who those kind of sort of agree with me types might actually watch it and understand where I'm coming from. Um, you know, I'm not pushing a viewpoint by talking about free speech. I think in the media, free speech has been turned into a boogeyman that means MAGA viewpoint. It just means it's one more thing that you're not supposed to have because it it's dangerous or, you know, it turns everything into a threatening space somehow. And, um, it's not the pushing of a viewpoint. It really is. Uh, it's the linchpin of every freedom that we have. If you cannot express, the only way you can undo the suppression of other freedoms is to be able to express that those are being held back. You know, speech suppression has a zero and uh, whatever in the world political history 
suppression of free speech 100% of the time is about something corrupt people are doing. It's never because they're trying to get rid of wrongful, hurtful ideas that shouldn't be there. You know, it's pushing, it's pushing corruption and expanding government powers at the cost of citizen freedom. So, yeah, like even in a hypothetical world, let's just say that like there was some government trying to suppress like a bunch of negative speech, like say, I don't know, it's something very egregious and wrong that actually is truly wrong. Like even then you're still, you're kind of like laying the foundation or tilling up the garden for, I don't know, like, like hate speech or um, what am I trying to say? Like essentially you're just kind of hiding all these negative speeches and they kind of just fester in the dark places, then they're going to come out at some point, right? It's kind of like sunlight is, is the best disinfectant because if people are able to say what they say, you know they're stupid or you know they're smart or you know they're a racist, you know they're a sexist because they're actually speaking versus having this all hidden and never knowing these things are true. Well, think of how, you know, I consider how I respond on an individual level depending on how, you know, someone who doesn't like my ideas receives them. If um, if someone wants to just argue in a comment thread, you know, even if they completely disagree with me, you know, they can call me names. But if they're arguing a point, then they're there for it. Then I respect that. But that that simply doesn't happen anymore. It's either uh, people just block you, they block your account. Um, you know, there are mechanisms, there are ways that. I guess if you're on Twitter, you can block um, like every follower of someone you block as well as them. So you can just try to really not hear anything from outside, create these incredibly tight, small bubbles. Um, but yeah, when when the response to the ideas that I put out there are not just dismissive or like, I don't agree, but I want you to delete that. That's just white men supporting white men. That's old. That's the old white guard. Delete, delete, delete. You know that's a toxic. Uh, or my accounts get um go missing. Do they think I'm going to be like, okay, you got me. I'm going to shut up and and just not look for other ways to say that. I mean, I may be unusually persistent, or maybe not. But look what happened when um. I mean, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one person who's not upset about YouTube censorship is whoever founded Rumble. Because now that's exactly, it's like what you said. I mean, you can't, it, you'll put your finger in the dike of ideas because even the, even the ones that are truly nasty that nobody really wants to hear, I mean, they're pretty extreme, are going to find platforms. And if you go looking for them, you're going to find them. Google, you know, Google can de devalue uh, sites through algorithmic manipulation and so on. People who talk to other people on the ground, um, you know, anger is a pretty strong motivator for finding ways. People like to be heard. I mean, this is going to shut a lot of people down, you know, sort of for good, I guess, who have just kind of given up um, and don't have a lot to lose in their minds from sort of going with whatever flow. And as long as they get their paychecks on time and are keeping their head down and, you know, they can continue to not be canceled so they can get their kids through college in a couple of years. Um whatever but uh yeah, i didn't mean to go that far into the weeds but you know essentially um i just lost the plot there so you can take over
But I think I said basically everything that I wanted to say in response to what you had said. Okay. Yeah, it's just interesting because I also was thinking a lot about how when I was in college, like I was a communications major, journalism, whatever you want to call it. Technically, it was print journalism. But um, I remember specifically one professor saying that um, that government sources are always concrete, like they're always accurate. And like when I was in college, it's kind of like, well, that's kind of weird. And then I never really. Would you go like the Citadel? Yep, basically. <laughs> West Point. Yeah, I went to West Point. No, um, I, w- I went to a school in Utah. We'll leave it at that. Um, but it was like an okay journalism program, whatever. But um, as I got older, I was just like, I've heard, I've heard that school you might be talking about is actually a really good school. It is a really overall. Good yeah, it, it's not mm-hmm. a bad school. Like it was a great place. I'm glad I went. I definitely learned a lot, and it changed my life in in a lot of lot of ways. I should say. But, People are uh, Googling like colleges in Utah because everybody knows there's like 35 just in the Salt Lake City area that are yeah, anyway. They're, they're Googling my name, colleges, universities in Utah, private universities. It's private, but it's cheaper than public. It's a lot of hints right there. <laughs> um, but, but as as I got older and kept thinking more and more about that, because it's obviously something I remember. I went to college years and years ago. Nice coffee there, 7-Eleven. Um, but like, I thought about that. And then like, as I kept reading and learning, I was like, wow, like the government is totally in bed with journalists and vice versa. And you see how it's that revolving door, like you alluded to earlier, where someone will work at the CIA and then they'll go work for, say, the New York Times or like Jen Psaki now works at MSNBC. And it's like all these big corporations and big pharma, big gov, uh, the big media, they all like work hand in hand and they're all buddies. So like it makes sense that you're not going to get any real reporting just because you have a source at say the FBI, it's like, well, is he just spewing you propaganda or is he actually giving you real information that could could change the world? It's like, no, he's probably going to give you propaganda. And it's probably honestly just part of his job if he's doing it secretly. And if he's not doing it secretly, he's like giving information to his buddy so they can just keep having like these quote unquote credible sources in the government. And really it's just nonsense that they're writing. Well, look at all... Um... Look at all of these people who are on the official payrolls of news networks now, or media, you know, media channels um, that are quote former intelligence officials. You know, and they put them on there because they can convince a lot of their viewers, like, oh, this guy knows how it works on the inside, and now he's going to come and expose all the government secrets. Like, yeah, that's exactly what this career liar. That's exactly why he's on MSNBC is to expose exactly what the government. He's not there to. To just be their mouthpiece um but yeah did you read uh informed consent noam chomsky wrote that i think in the 80s he was a co-author of it actually and it actually talks about how how media and state power invariably coincide no matter what you know nobility of intent that the media um, the pe- media operators might have. It just always goes that way. Um, it's worth reading because it's even before the internet, and it's just basically very predictive of what happens when things get taken to an extreme. He's been asked about it since because he's still alive. I mean, he's kind of lost his raw, lost his, let's say, lost his rocker. That that's a good phrase to mix up <laughs> when you're questioning someone's uh, whether they're still intact. <laughs> he's a little off his rocker and he's lost his marbles how about that he's off his marbles too um little guy you know he's older than dirt he should be but he uh very much a free speech absolutist 
Um, he had some some bad ideas about the unvaccinated and COVID that you may be aware of. But anyway, forget that aspect. And, and again, nobody's perfect. That's the thing. If, if you look for um, just pure villains and pure evildoers, you are, you know, in the citizen class and you're going to be in trouble and you're going to stick with bad ideas uh, because that makes you more comfortable than aligning yourselves with people you think are bad because they think differently from you. However, there are exceptions. There are the level of corruption in Congress, actually throughout government. There's a silver lining in that because it really does make me able to say, well, anybody who's a member of the United States Congress, at least if they've been there for any length of time, you know, regardless of why they ran, they're they're bought. You know, they're part of the corruption. Um, even a principal guy like Rand Paul, I think he I, I think he's a serious libertarian. But hard to do at scale in the United States. But unfortunately, he had he had little choice, you know, by Mitch McConnell kind of whipped him into just to being a standard Republican in terms of his influence. Um not as bad as what's happened in the Democratic Party. You know, these little so-called socialists like A the Squad were now just basically further to the political right than anyone in the Bush administration. They're basically like Dick Cheney. It's incredible. Um, but yeah, the idea that you took a journalism class where they said, trust the government. Um, I don't know when that started, but it's depressing that it's been going on for, you know, a decade or more now. Uh, I, I know what, you know, if they're talking about, um, there was a time that if you went to a .gov website for a paper, then it was more trustworthy um, than probably just like a blog, random blog. But nowadays, uh, and that, would, that was depending on what you were looking for even then. But now, what I, if you linked anything on like the Department of Education website, or the CDC, or uh, basically any of them, you just might be linking to Mad Magazine. I mean, or just whatever. You know, or just uh, a brick roller. Just put that in every single line of your references. Have it be a, you know, a, a what is that? That mini URL or that tiny URL? I, that would. Be, I've always wondered what would happen to a college student if they put that in all their papers and like the URL. Every single one of them led to a brick roll, like four be, or five in a row. That'd be amazing. I'd definitely give them an A plus on I know. that. So I, I can understand what you were talking about um, or what your professor would have meant in general. But if you're talking about uh, if you were watching something on the news and they were citing a government official, um, okay, maybe if it was someone from the Department of Wildlife educating you about a certain kind of tree where they had no real way or incentive to lie. Yeah. If it's someone from the, from the Defense Department who's like wearing a Forgot to take off their bowling hat when they for the TV appearance, you know, just standing there jabbering or or Lockheed, you know, standing there talking about why they need a specific kind of missile to be built and shipped to Ukraine by the tens of thousands. Like, no, don't you know if if somebody is on there, um, I don't know. And the the painful part of that is a few decades ago, it would have been sensible, I guess, to trust a quote from a government official to the news media because they 
you know, they all said the same thing when there were only a few networks, there was only so much they were going to say if they lied, the media would try to pick it apart. That was a big difference. Um, and so I think that rather than lie a lot in the old days, they simply tried not to have certain things be found out about. So they didn't have to start lying. These days they have to lie about everything um, because there's just too much, too many ways for people to connect in spite of their best efforts. Um, yeah, but uh, another another beneficiary, well, I'm not sure how this turned out, but the counterpart, I guess, to, uh, well, rumble in some ways is parlor, right? Because that was that was the alternative to Twitter once they banned Donald Trump, or had it already existed, but it was going to gain momentum because they had banned, or I couldn't remember how that played out. But they they crippled the sale of that thing because Google and Apple both, they never agree on anything. Those two companies, they hate each other. They agreed to cancel Parler. And Amazon. Let's not forget Amazon. Yeah, I, I can't believe I so frequently leave the Amazon out of all this because they might be the biggest media company on the planet overall. Yeah, they're the largest that they do. server hoster, I believe, with AWS. With AWS, yeah. They think of all the stuff they could cancel right away if they wanted to. Yeah. Uh, I do know that uh, the government basically gave Jeff Bezos um, $6 billion. Like there was something written into you know, one of these recent bills. One of the things about passing bills that asks for, you know, $40 billion at a time is that just makes it easier to sneak in other things that are actually huge sums like, mm -hmm. you know, pork. Bezos company, uh, obviously not SpaceX. He, he's got a subsidiary that deals with flight and um, I forget the name. But he got like six, he was asking for $6 billion in funding for something. And basically that was the amount that some kind of thing changed in, a, in an appropriation. So it was basically just for him. Uh, you know, and stop and think about a guy who, who buys the Washington Post. Does anybody believe that someone would do that because they just, oh, I want to own a newspaper and then they're just going to stand back and let people say whatever, you know, about Amazon. When's the last time you saw any adverse reporting on Amazon that wasn't like in the gray zone or somewhere on disclose.tv or any number of other, you know, sort of what I would call libertarian distributor, you know, news aggregators. Um, it's almost comical. And I think, with but, that you too, know, governments, um, it, it's not that uh, one, one last thing, it's not surprising to me that governments, um, do the things that they do because that is the natural momentum power. It just is. And when you have a democracy or a theoretical democracy with, you know, distributed leadership, it makes it all the more insidious when it's corrupt because honestly, any one person can tell themselves, well, I'm not doing that much damage. I'm either just doing what I'm told or, or they somehow justify it. It's just like with all these woke companies, when I call them on racism or, you know, pushing a cheater. I, you know, I haven't gotten a single email back from any one of those companies or New York, any of these organizations that I've reached out to any of the time. And um, all these individual people, I think, can just tell themselves, well, I'm not the only one or what I, I'm not that fundamentally wrong or somebody told me to do this. Some of them will actually flat out tell you, well, this company doesn't want its ESG scores to go down. So that's why it has to continue to be racist 
and promote, um, you know, basically sexual lunacy because that's in the prescription. Yeah. And I think uh, it is. That. Uh, yeah. I, I, I agree. And like at a certain point though, I feel like all these little castles, if you want to call them that, like begin to crumble. Cause like you look at the Washington post, like they're just laying off. I don't remember how many people, but a bunch of people, there was some video circling around where like all these employees were crying because they're getting laid off. It's like, well, yeah, like when you just spit garbage for months and years and years, like people are going to stop trusting you and then you're going to lose advertisers because you're losing eyeballs. And they lost a bunch of memberships. I don't remember how many it was uh, specifically, but it was a lot of money. So then it's just like, well, you can't operate at a loss. So like goodbye to all these people. And Well, he could. I mean, if he wanted to, right? But think of what's going on here and uh, all these people who think of themselves, I guess, as progressives. I mean, not everybody who wanted to be a reporter originally thinks that way but now it's like you know they're being trained at universities like cold journalist is someone is represents establishment viewpoints which is i mean right now it's democrat because that's who's in office it could be anybody um you know mitch mcconnell or kevin mccarthy probably you know they're they're not going to do anything to help the republicans i don't think you know i don't pay attention as much to that kind of crap but those two are just lizards themselves in their own obvious ways uh but you know, getting back to uh, the mistrust in the media, Bezos, um, if that, the fact that he's laying people off now, consider how he thinks, like he bought this as a propaganda tool, right? The Washington Post. And it's not working out exactly as he planned. So he's losing money. So what's he doing? He could keep those people employed. He could lose. I mean, the Washington Post could just bleed money. And and he, he personally, what difference would it make? I mean, he could think of it as a, as a charitable donation. Um, I mean, it wouldn't, in the real world, it, just, it would still amount to the same crap. You know what I mean? Financially for him, he could. But the fact, that shows how little he cares about anybody. Like, some of the people he's laying off probably wanted to be good, earnest reporters. And some of them are probably doing exactly what he wants, but they're just not getting eyeballs. So he's like, well, I, my sense about really wealthy people, for the most part, is that even when they can afford to have, you know, like dead weight. They just hate the concept because they're competing with other. I mean, Bezos has made it, he's an efficiency expert. I mean, Amazon is obviously run on like zero, zero waste. And I mean that by that, I mean, they, you know, they run slave factories and they don't waste time and they're as efficient as can humanly be. You know, I think that when people think like that, they're never going to allow themselves to not care about something that's bleeding money because it makes them feel bad. It makes them feel like a loser. And I hope he does feel like a loser as he lays off all these people, even though they need to go. I think it's great. I want people to be broke. But one, another thing I can say about the media class is most of them come from Ivy league. Uh, most of them, you know, come from families that are really well off, not just because these people want to serve sort of the establishment that their parents are pretty well part of, but these these jobs, like even at the New York Times or NBC News, they don't pay that well. If you want to live in New York City, um, you know, live in Manhattan and work for the New York Times as a reporter, you kind of need somebody to help you with that. If it's not a spouse or a roommate or it's usually going to be parents. Um, I can name a few at the New York Times that I know are in that situation. So, you know. So when these people get laid off from places like that, it's not like it would have been 10 years ago where you had to feel really bad, like all these reporters, man, that's a profession I love. 
now it's just stenographers and mostly douchebags who are getting trimmed. So, you know, that's just, but, it, you know, in the real world, it's hard to even be happy about that. I mean, it's sort of like slows the acceleration of the chaos. It's like good meta platforms. They, they're firing a ton of people, I heard. Um, but it's not, it's not going to change the thinking of the idiots who run the company um, or, the, or the things that they do or what they say at the World Economics Forum meetings. Um, all those, uh, I feel like I'm leaving out one of these companies. Maybe not. I mean, Meta includes both Facebook and Instagram, so it's the same thing. But the Times... Um, I thought they did really well financially during the Trump years just because a lot of people subscribed to their whatever $4 a month for rage, pure rage, and they got what they wanted. I don't know how it's going now for them. But again, the guy who, the publisher of that paper, it's been in his family for five generations. Five generations. This guy probably couldn't talk to a normal human being if he tried. You know, I'm sure he probably lives in the Hamptons, probably went to whatever prep school, um, doesn't care. And I think he he's a dangerous person with the crap that he puts in there and can put in there. You know, and he's like 40 years old. He's going to be around forever. But I'm sure there will be, if the world's around at that point, there will be, you know, a Solberger, you know, the, the, the sixth of his name was running that paper. But, you know, how's that supposed to work out, uh, you know, for the interests of... Um, of common people like another hypocrisy I've seen in the Musk, like people criticizing, not just the journalists, but Elon Musk, you know, he's the richest man on the planet. So the reporters doing this story, I'm hearing people whining about how, well, you're just a slave to a billionaire. Why would you, uh, these are in by and large people who are utterly in the thrall of Phil Knight, who's one of the world's richest people, um, utterly in the thrall of this guy, I believe all, the nonsense and lies about Nike athletes, you know, Shelby Houlihan being drafted or framed or otherwise, you know, who, who, who she was really innocent. Um, you know, ignoring the fact that these are progressives who it's some of they, they have to know how Nike, how and where Nike has been making its clothing for a long time. It's not that hard. I mean, um, these pro environment, pro human people, it's insane. So, but it's one thing to be that way, obliviously, but another to then criticize others for falling for a billionaire shtick or something. It's like, how many different levels of uh, failed whataboutism does this go to? And, and a lot of these people are perfectly earnest, too. Like, a lot of these people are just kind of so daft and blinded by partisanship that they have no idea they're just... Um, basically flinging turds at allies of theirs, you know, rather than aiming it where it needs to go. But I was saying before, you know, I can draw a bright line sort of between good and evil. When it comes to people in Congress, they all lie. Uh, it's state legislatures. I mean, you see a lot of just dumbasses, I guess, and goobers and weird things going on. Uh, but I think you can trust some of them for a while. Depends on the state, maybe. But U.S. Congress, no. The White House, no. Anyone, any publisher or editor-in-chief of a, no. Anybody who runs a cable news outlet, no. I mean, right now, Tucker Carlson, it sounds like a genius. But what, in five years, 
He could be as bad. He could be Rachel Maddow again. I mean, you just don't know. He doesn't sound great all the time, but it just goes to show what happens when when a country shifts and they're able to keep like partisan stakes in place. Um, because other people could be saying what Tucker Carlson is saying and people like Glenn, Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi shouldn't have to show up only on Fox News because these other outlets simply will not entertain the viewpoints that these people have. So uh, that's where we are with that. But it's, I don't know in terms of print media um, what the ultimate future is that is going to be because, again, that individual people running these these outlets can sort of afford to run them almost as holograms. I mean, Salzberger, the, the New York Times publisher, he probably only needs about five actual porters. He could run the rest on AI pretty soon. I mean, considering some of the crap, you know what they're going to say about everything. Um, so that the outlet might not go away, but real reporters, and that's a shame. Like, uh, it's been really helpful for Substack. My biggest fear is that someone manages to basically take control of Substack, whoever, you know, away from the current ownership and management. And that'd be, that that would kill off an overwhelming portion of um, readable truth on the internet, really. I mean, some of those people have a lot of subscribers and there are plenty of, um, you can write whatever you want. The whole thing, there are plenty of uh, lefty, I guess you'd call them, writers on Substack, like burn, burn it down type feminists. They got a ton of subscribers and making good money for just ranting and raving. As far as I know, they, you know, you can be a religious nutter on there and make whatever money people have left that they haven't already given to televangelists and every Sunday in real life, you know, into the coffers. Um, but you have to, you have to think that, um, you know, people like Bill Gates are highly interested in, in making writers like Matt Taibbi go away. Um, Musk is a hero about one thing. I'll say that, what he's doing, because now we know why there are articles about why the U.S. government almost didn't want him to buy Twitter because of, quote, security concerns. The concerns is that they were about to get busted for collaborating with the existing management at Twitter. And sure enough, they did. I mean, I don't even know if it's a coherent thing to say, well, they busted the FBI. Now they're going to get in trouble with who? I mean, but fact remains that they were exposed, I guess. So uh, the, the thing I would stress to people who hear free speech as just something that white supremacists and MAGA and anti-woke, whatever people want to say, it's not. It's a, it's a platform for a society that can be stable despite fluctuating leaders, despite, you know, someone could get elected that turns out to be a real stealth uh, nutter in some ways. Uh, I can't even... Who knows? You know, that would radically want to change education somehow for the worse. I don't know if that's possible now. Who knows? But outside of, a, you know, an extremist, there's probably going to be natural right, left kind of, you know, you might get someone who's more sympathetic to, um, you know, social safety net and people who are less and people can disagree sanely on taxation and economic policies. But the only way, you know, to survive those shifts without them sliding into authoritarianism is to have a media that reports on the bad actors. Because when that doesn't happen, the momentum um, 
it doesn't stop. That really is the role of journalism. And that's not, it's easy to lose that, that, you know, people, the role of journalism is not to entertain people or give them a way to pass the time as they're drinking their coffee or riding the bus, or maybe they, you know, if they read the newspaper, they can also do the crossword and the Sudoku. And it's just kind of a cool way to spend an hour every day or, um, it's not just a sort of way to quote, learn about the world or stay informed. It's really about the only check on government power is, you know, a media that can reach tons and tons of people reliably without being censored. And without that in place, I don't know how much, uh, you know, faster things can slide. So that's why people who look at my Substack or my writing or the things I say and instinctively see me as staking out a fundamental position or positions or feeling like I personally can't reach a wide enough audience. Cause believe me, I already do. Um, just with the newsletter, uh, there just aren't that many people of consequence in, in the world that I write about, you know, when I write about specific things. And so uh, that's a different discussion, but it really is about not wanting, um, that's sort of what I want to be able to do is say what I say, what I think. And again, that doesn't mean that what I think is going to push people's buttons. It's just literally look and, you know, I haven't pushed an intentionally wrong idea, um, you know, when not making jokes ever in my life, I've never, you know, uh, to try to win an argument or anything. It just doesn't, um, my sense is that people are always going to find out about that anyway. Like, even if you felt compelled to win an argument by dishonest means, well, even if you're fundamentally a dirtbag, dirtbags don't want to get caught because they don't want it to end, right? Uh, they don't want to be, nobody wants to be punished. Um, it doesn't really matter now because people feel like they can just wallpaper over their lives. And to a large extent, they can because when companies like Brooks would side with somebody, um, who's telling the truth over a liar based on the color of the, the truth teller's skin. And that's what's, you know, people are, can be confident and in not incurring those consequences. And that further destabilizes uh, society. You know, there's a very much a trickle-down effect from a corrupt mainstream, you know, general media because people who write for, you know, niche publications, whether it's in running or fitness or triathlon or underwater basket weaving, or, you know, guns and ammo, whatever your specialty is, um, you know what the standards are and what, the, you know, now I'm just going to write to my audience. If I get called out on anything, I'll actually, you know, I'll go back and if I don't feel like arguing, I'll delete old inconvenient stuff. And if it winds up in a way back machine, I'll say it was hacked, you know, just no, no limit, just keep lying. Because in the end, someone you'll have enough people on your side, basically giving the middle finger to the truth, so that in an online environment, this just it doesn't favor the person who's trying to uh, to get an idea out there. I do what I wonder what would happen though if if things very quickly um, turned around so that there was true general censorship of woke wokeish ideas. I don't want to say le whatever left. I don't want to say like sort of traditionally liberal ideas. I want to, you know, just the, the nuttier ones, the new, the newer ones. Um, you know, the mainstream media members are already irate that Musk or Twitter, you know, I think it was him personally, he might as well say him, suspended some accounts of some 
some journalists. I mean, there's some of them aren't even real journalists. This one guy who works for Vox, all he does is retweet. Uh, he's this elf who just retweets DNC talking points. He's probably paid by them. Um, but he suspended them because they posted a link to where Musk Jet was going to be, I guess. And he recently had a scare with his kid. His kid was in the car. Musk was. You heard about that. And somebody came and jumped on the car. Um, so they're claiming Musk is being inconsistent. Never mind that. I mean, I think he probably had a legitimate. Let's let's pretend Musk is being wildly inconsistent about free speech, and he sucks on that issue. Um, and instead, just look at the fact that uh, a couple MSM people got suspended, and the rest are going nuts over it after nothing but cancellations of other people's ideas and viewpoints for years by these platforms. I mean, it's. I want to laugh at it, but I'm almost so taken aback by the the level of open-faced indignation um, about the shoe being on the other foot. I'm like, are you really that immune to have ever considered what, what might happen? I mean, I guess they did consider what might happen as soon as Musk bought the platform. But I, I guess they just don't understand why no one ever officially anointed them the guardians of truth and morality. Like, you don't just get to say... Trans, trans women in sports, pick one, is the proper position because that's what we're printing and that's what we're saying. It, it's just circular reasoning and bootstrapping. And then eventually these people convinced that they are in the moral right about whatever they want to say. Um, but yeah, imagine what would happen. It's only been a small handful of people that got suspended from Twitter. Now imagine basically dozens of them, the whole, all of them, like the worst of them, Ben Collins, Taylor Lorenz, um, you know, everybody from the Times or the Washington Post, the worst of them, Philip Bump, I could go on, all these liars, Rachel Maddow, uh, Lawrence O'Donnell, just all, if all their accounts got suspended and they had a difficult time actually maintaining visibility on other platforms, just consider, I think that would be enough to wake people up to the fact that yeah, the people who were arguing for free speech really were all along, you know, of the old school class who said, you know, I may hate what you say, but I will, you know, you know, fight to the death to defend your right to say it type of thing. That was one of the original patriots, uh, you know, the original founding type, Patrick Henry type people. Maybe it was Patrick Henry. I can't remember. But that was an old school, you know, quote. Now, I doubt I would actually fight to the death to defend, you know, an idiot but for someone who I disagreed with, but the spirit of the quote remains. I mean, I think that all these people from these lying influencers who cheat in marathon, cheat and lie about everything, let them build an audience on Instagram. If people want to buy into that, um, now the corporate support of it, you know, that's the, that's the part that's reprehensible. But as far as people wanting to promote these ideas, um, let them do it. I mean, it's no different. It's been going on for years with how many religious sects in the world, you know, with conflicting ideas and some of them kind of lunatic. No one's ever tried to shut them from having their own discussions online, I don't think, at any point. I mean, most people don't want to shut down other people. I shouldn't say most. You know, I'm not religious, but I have no inclination to... Um, you know, change anybody's mind on what they think or...
for religion because it's just the center of a lot of people's lives. I mean, it gets a lot of people through life. I mean, I don't agree with a, a lot of the tenets, but and I wouldn't want to keep those people from finding like-minded people online. You know, they're not. You know, most of them are not planning to do anything harmful to others, really. So, um, other than outright, you know, illegal stuff that everybody knows is illegal and already gets prosecuted, like you know, child porn and human trafficking and stuff. I don't care what people put up. Um, I don't think like I believe that people who dislike my viewpoints think and that um, I don't care about follower number. I know I'm not out to to build a brand. I don't have a podcast. I don't, um, you know, I'm just putting ideas out there. I mean, I try to have fun with it. Uh, but I am a lot more insistent and mean than I would be inclined to be knowing that people are successfully able to stay in bubbles and push some pretty damaging things in the process. Uh, and it's notable when you see people backing off ideas when they lose cultural momentum. Um, I dislike that almost as much as the original promotion of a bad idea. Uh, you know, to, to name one example, if you were to go to most of the running magazines now and do, you know, time delineated searches for terms like transgender, and you can see when those terms had a lot of momentum when people were taking the side of um, trans inclusion and being, you know, and of course not listening to other viewpoints all along the way, but they were publishing these articles. If you go to Twitter and do time delineated searches for the authors and, you know, main figures and pundits, um, you know, wokish pundits, you find a lot of that is tapered off. And that tells you two things is that one, as soon as they know that public opinion that people are catching on and that public opinion is turning further against them, then they're not as willing to push these ideas. Um, and that in turn tells you that they don't even really stand, they don't even really care about the people that they're pretending to stand behind, right? Because even if you know public momentum is changing, if you're righteous and you think your cause is righteous, you don't abandon it and change your mind, you know, oh, I guess everybody was right. You double down or you admit you were wrong the first time for some reason. Of course, you're not seeing any of this. I guess it's like the COVID phenomenon about all these outlets suddenly pretending all along that they were in agreement with certain ideas that were actually banned at the time, like maybe where this pandemic originated and how. And But you're, you're almost seeing people, they're not, um, these running writers are not quite at the point where they're going along and pretending they were never in favor of, you know, trans inclusion, whatever. But they're stepping away from the issue and moving on to other stuff. Um, so if you care that much about something, you drop the ball when other people start to expose it for what it is, you're not just a bad journalist. I think you're kind of a bad advocate and sort of a shitty person too. I mean, what are you doing when, uh, people who you say they need, you know, they need advocates, they're, they're getting, their advocacy is kind of dwindling, I guess, right? You could say that people more people are deciding that their initial olive branch or embracing of certain philosophies was in vain because they're tired of being called turfs um, or bigots for, you know, oppressing the latest, you know, narrow and narrower weird ideas. And so, you know, there's been a big, hey, wait a minute, Mo, you said earlier in the, in the cast uh, about... Um, I can't remember the metaphor you used. And not, it wasn't the tide is turning, but something like that. Um, but I, I think you are seeing that more people are 
are saying, hey, wait a minute, this is not this is not like um, a pro-gay movement of the 80s where people just wanted to be treated, you know, as human beings. And that basically the only thing that's different about it, they weren't asking for everything else. They weren't asking to change the entire media or, or get rid of others who didn't believe as they, you know, totally different. You know, and it was advocacy that was well-founded and needed, honestly. I mean, I think, but um, this stuff is completely different and people re are realizing some of the more, I guess, you know, emotionally generous or people who just wanted to be good. People who've been on the left for a long time or whatever, realize they've been hoodwinked and none of this, it's just a huge grift. It's intentionally destructive. Um, if you listen to how woke people write, it's almost like they have their own sub language, like in a clockwork orange. If you ever watch that, you know, did you ever watch it? I've never seen that. It, almost I, like a reference. Nad said, yeah, it's like this weird take on Russian and English. It's almost like drunk people trying to speak Russian partly, uh, like pig Latin. I don't know, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Well, you, terms, uh, people like Alison Desir, who wrote Running While Black, original title, uh, the unbearable whiteness of running before it was somehow scrubbed uh, or changed. Um, they use terms like disruption and problematic and problematize um, and tear down existing systems over and over and over. It's like code for we want to tear down without building up. We don't have a replacement. It's politics of resentment. And that's why you can sort of predict um, which people uh, who, you know, weren't, weren't associated with organic wokeism are going to become champions is that they, if they have certain kinds of resentments, you know, you can kind of map on to, you can basically predict uh, someone on social media for a few years, whether or not they're going to align with the wokesters or not. So, but realistically, yeah, I th think that uh, it's really kind of scummy when people who, by your own words, will now be are getting beat up on more, right? Because fewer, I don't know, fewer people are, you know, in favor of, no, nobody I know is really in favor of just trying to marginalize transgender people and not let them do their thing and be, be citizens in every way and live their lives. Uh, but when you back off from something, when other people are, are sort of coming out and saying the same things as people you were able to cancel one year earlier because there were only 10 of them, now they're backing off, so that that's almost worse, I think, than never having been an ally at all, because now some of these people who uh, were written about in, say, Women's Running or Trail Runner, now they're now the authors of those of those advocacy articles have moved on to other things, and so you're going to see these trans trans people kind of blowing in the wind. But wokeism has a response to that, and that's just to shift from one thing to another and make it even weirder. Like, that's why I think you're seeing more non-binary than trans now, because uh, it's almost like whack-a-mole. Um, you know, the tran trans inclusion in sports is, uh, I'm not going to say it's uh, its not dead and over, but it, it's been out there for a couple of years and it's been time to push something new and get even more categories legitimized. So that's why non-binary right which is even fuzzier in reality i mean trans at least for people taking drugs or having surgery i mean it doesn't change your actual sex but at least it's a mechanistic step and you know non-binary um you might as well just be calling yourself a wizard or any kind of the you know creatures from the jrr token world call yourself a warlock a wizard an orc an elf um whatever
because they even say, well, it's just sort of a state of mind. I What I don't get is why people fail to see why that should limit um, the need to establish a category for people to enter. The reason categories for competition exist is because people want to compete, but because people age and because males and females have different bodies, and if you want to have you know competitions within the main competition, then you have to set these things up. Uh, Non-binary introduces nothing into that. Um, it doesn't, you know, fill a need that wasn't there. It takes away resources from, you know, the existing prize or award structure. There's no defensible basis to it. Um, so you might as well, honestly, it's as defensible as creating awards categories for elves, orcs, trolls, hobgoblins, garden fairies. Obviously, I could go on and I know that wokish people don't like it when I talk like that, but pick apart the logic. And I think more people would, you know, nobody engages this kind of criticism, even when it's not snarky. So, you know, some of this stuff is just weird. You just got to have fun with it. Um, Non-binary is just in your face incoherent. You know, it's probably for the most part, people would traditionally be called butch lesbians and happily call themselves that. Um, that's, you know, 40 years ago, that's probably, or not even that, 20 years ago, the same people who are in their 20s now and opting occasionally for non-binary just would have come out as lesbian. Now, the men, I don't know. I have <laughs> I have no idea what's going on there, but call yourself non-binary, but people don't do that in certain situations. Like, if you had to go to the hospital and you had a problem, like, say you thought you had a prostate problem, an advanced line, and you were rectally bleeding or you had an ovarian cyst, you're not going to sit there and insist to the ER doctor that you're non-binary over and over and over. At some point, the clothes probably have to come off. And, you know, so the fact that that, you know, that's one of any number of examples I could use. And again, you can call yourself non-binary. You can go and start any number of clubs in real life and on Instagram. The thing is, though, at Root Wokeism, as I referenced, isn't about real progress. It's about demolition. And I think a lot of people have been caught up in that who are not themselves uh, intentional vandals. People like Riley Brady, I don't know much about her. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, from what little I know, someone who was out to just actually cause problems for anybody in any way. Agreed to do a podcast to talk with you. That's a big deal. Um, because in an era when most people won't. But it's just a freight train loaded with dynamite is all it was ever meant to be. And, uh, you know, I think that one of the main reasons that people like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation gave what was over a billion dollars to Black Lives Matter Incorporated. I'm quite sure that they know and their other donors knew full well that, um, you know, of course, Black Lives Matter in the literal English sense. But a lot of us knew that before 2020 uh, didn't need have signs on our lawns proclaiming as much, which almost seems you know, almost like uh, bizarre to rally around so energetically. It's like, well, what, what were you actually thinking, you know, the rest of your life before this moment, if you're that? Anyway, um, apart from the virtual signaling, a billion dollars in the hands of BLM um, basically assured of a lot of downstream divisiveness. Um, there was, you know, a lot of grifting going on. I know some of the principals in BLM did what um, the leaders of any Supposed nonprofit would do with no oversight, black, white, yellow, red, whatever you want to call them. 
They stole a bunch of money. Um, but the fact that wokeism is intentionally destructive just serves, you know, the needs of people who want to exert greater levels of control because it's all about gaslighting. Yeah, sure, you know, men and women can be, men can get pregnant. What was it? I saw a real survey a few months ago that showed 37% of, I think it was Democratic women, answered yes to that question, can can men become pregnant? 37%. Um, you know, this wasn't some just random Twitter survey. This is one of the polling organizations that did this. Uh, it, was, it was one question on a, a multiple, you know, a bigger survey. So, uh, you know, you've got, um, what was I saying before that about, you know, the, uh, well, you've got, uh, if people are, are constantly being gaslit about s somewhat trivial things, I mean, it's not trivial if you're on a girls or a women's sports team, or if you're an MMA fighter who's female and doesn't want to fight a former, you know, Navy SEAL or whatever, a dude. Um, but that kind of stuff over and over or whiteness. Oh, that's not racist. We're just trying to eliminate racism by being openly racist toward white people and saying they're infected from birth with this one thing that's particular to their color of skin. You know, that historically we frowned on ideas like that. You know, try pushing blackness anywhere. I mean, it sounds grotesque. Um, I wouldn't even do it to set like a by power of analogous example because it's revolting to me because it's something straight out of the documents of of segregation from Mississippi in the 1800s or something. Um, so, but that's gaslighting. But what does that do? It, it batters the public consciousness into accepting more consequential ideas like, yeah, we got a lockdown. Yeah, this unproven, uh, you know, this vaccine with no randomized controlled trials or any real data, it's going to work because we're telling you to. So you're going to take it and you're going to take every booster. Oh, you're watching everybody get sick. Well, it's not really happening. Well, it's still keeping you from going to the hospitals and the hospitals are overrun. Do you want to kill people in the hospitals by not being vaccinated again and again? And so I think that if you, it's pretty easy to link um, wokeism, even though that kind of organically percolated out of universities as postmodern thought over the last 20 years, why it's such an essential tool for the real power players in the world whatever you want, you know, World Economic Forum, the International Money Fund, you know, people like Prince Charles and Justin Trudeau and all the, you know, world leaders that go to the supposedly non-governmental thing where people like Klaus Schwab and, uh, you know, Bill Gates are talking, just billionaires, just nothing but the richest people alive. Um, there's the only way to sort of resist what they're doing is that enough human flesh rose up against it. And that's simply not going to happen when people are fighting people in the same economic general class, especially if you're looking at this from the standpoint of a billionaire. If we're fighting over, you know, masking, vaccination, having, you know, running, you know, people writing books, basically starting race wars within running, um, whether or not we should have transgender divisions, whether or not weighing 350 pounds and never moving a muscle is actually fit if you, you know, if you're put on the cover of the right bands. <laughs> I mean, if, uh, you know, you see enough of this stuff in official sources, then, then it's almost like fighting an opponent who hits you with these little jabs 
or or cutting yourself enough times with a you know something like the edge of a paper where you're starting to lose significant amounts of blood and then you get attacked with a knife you know and the sort of the stuff that's sort of easy to laugh at the wokish you know the crap the obviously dumb ideas about being morbidly obese and fat and these people just lie about being marathon runners and all they do is go outside and jiggle around in front of a camera for 15 seconds a day so they can you know upload their videos and more power to them if you want to be i mean these people are clowns um but they're mean too that's the part that you know they, they shouldn't be embraced by my companies for doing this but i don't care you know shut them down i don't care to shut them down i want to make sure i put the verb in there but uh but this is the kind of stuff that obviously serves the interest of state power because think about it if you were a parent, I guess, and you had four little kids who, you know, generally get along okay, but for some reason they were ganging, you were in a long drive and they were ganging up against you and they really wanted you to stop for fast food. And you're just like, I, you know, I, I don't want to do it. And you were sick of listening and your wife was starting to agree with you or your husband was starting to agree with you. So, what do you do? Um, this wouldn't be the best thing, I guess, if you're in a moving car, but you could kind of start an argument between them. Like you could think of something that the kids in the back disagreed on. Like maybe one of them was a Yankees fan, the other a Red Sox fan. Just start talking about the standings. Start lying to them, you know, gaslight your kids in harmless ways. Like, you know, why did you just decide to wear that green puffy coat? None of them have a green puffy coat on. They're all looking around. None of them are talking about stopping for food anymore. You know, they're caught up in stupid squabbling. The parents are sitting up front like, you know, worked again. But that shouldn't work on sentient adults who call themselves intelligent media consumers, who, who call themselves journalists. Um, you know, it's it's really pretty crazy. As someone who respected the profession for a long time, I, mean, I never really called myself or thought of myself as a journalist. I'm doing more of that now than I ever did. But some of the stuff that I wrote for running magazines and actually some other non-running outlets back in the day required some interviewing people with different viewpoints here and there or multiple inputs, doing some research that wasn't entirely online and turning out a product that if it wasn't, you know, there were going to be mistakes in some of them and nobody likes that. People should agonize over their mistakes to, in, in articles, depending on what they are. And I'm not saying if you you should always think of yourself as a loser if you make, because you're going to make mistakes, even the best journalists. But I mean, to be blase and not even care and have, have that be a feature instead of a bug. Um, you know, where are these people all coming from? It's just sort of what I wonder. It's almost like people who came of age um, when the internet started to offer certain things like social media and just the immediacy of communication and the immediate to communicate with people who only believed what you did took it a step beyond blogging, you know, and, and building, you know, you know, balkanized communities, encouraging nonsense. Um, but, you know, the unwillingness to tar to tolerate opposing viewpoints also serves, um, you know, a despotic type government very well, uh, because it's just like, I don't know, almost like I heard that, you know, they turn up the heat and, prisons right or they turn it down i've heard both things maybe in different times of year depending on what they want the mood among the inmates to be if they don't want them to be restless then they make them more more uncomfortable they might turn up the heat in the prison to make them more loogie i don't know but there are ways to keep um human mass from rebelling against you if you run a prison the only way that 
that can be overcome is if the human mass gets access to your human mass or the levers of control and it doesn't work anymore. You know, about the only chance that, um, you know, it, it, there's nothing that can be done to, there's never going to be a coup of the U.S. government, right? Like whatever they're calling 1-6, I agree it was a complete mess. I'm amazed that anybody even got in there. But imagine what a coup of, do you think the U.S. military couldn't have shut those people down if they'd been summoned? Like the U.S. military, all of it? That'd be kind of hard to do. I mean, I back, you know, there's not going to be a coup of the U.S. government. It might ruin itself, but that's that's a different uh, scenario. Um, but if enough people, like if everybody alive, you know, whatever their historical partisan leanings, everybody in the United States suddenly became a pure information seeking machine, um, at all emotional costs, and suddenly realized you know, everything that was going on. And I'm not saying I'm perfectly enlightened either. I mean, I, I actively seek out um, the best information sources I can now, but I still reckon I'm carrying around some residual wrong ideas from the Times or the Washington Post from years ago. They just haven't become, you know, real subjects anymore, like stuff about Trump, maybe. I don't know. I never bought into the Russiagate stuff. It was just too, too ridiculous from the start. But you know, other stuff, other ways, and, and not really just him, but other just other bad ideas that were planted there before I sort of jumped off the train. Um, you know, the main the MSM train. I was never really much of a watcher, but before I learned to completely mistrust it, I guess. But if everybody did that, it would pose a real threat. Um, people would at least stop participating in elections that didn't really much seem to matter. I mean or they would at least not support people who they saw as the lesser of two evils, because that's just absolutely insane. All that does is, is encourage the people you're voting for to get even worse when they know you're going to vote for them when they're bad. Um, when you make no secret of the fact that you spend 20 hours a day hitting Donald Trump, they know they can do anything, 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 and get your vote. So, but if enough people for one day were suddenly just purged of their emotional um existing anchors to twitter to blue check whatever they're and they just decided uh you know maybe i'm just gonna find out what's really going on and just started to follow links that would make them uncomfortable because it's on the other political side for once that's about the only thing you wouldn't see all these people posting all this nonsense because they wouldn't be going along with it i mean it's the mass of deluded people um that builds you know, the momentum of the battering ram that's being used against people themselves. Uh, like I said, a predictably um, avaricious government is one thing, but uh, a compliant, completely compliant citizenry, I didn't see all that coming. I just, I didn't see it coming. You know, I thought enough people, and I guess I, I anticipated more intellectual um, and moral uh, sincerity on the part of people on the left than than they deserved. I'm not sure if I completed that sentence correctly. I guess I trusted <laughs> people's intentions somewhat more than um, than I should have. But you know, that's not something I really hold myself accountable for now. I mean, I, I'm tempted to really uh, flagellate myself sometimes for the things I've been fooled on, but um, 
that's a time waster because who hasn't been? I mean, it's frustrating. Who hasn't been? And that's why I try to keep pure animus and animosity out of when I talk about most of the people who are, um, who would vote, you know, in a poll in one direction and I would vote on the other. I think most of them have been fooled. I don't think any, really too many of these people, um, most of these people really do believe that they're mo more in favor of racial equality than in a race war. Uh, you know, and across the board with the other issues we haven't touched on that are, um, you know, guns hasn't come up. That used to be a big one. I don't think anybody, um, I, I haven't, maybe people on the political left have sensed that the government doesn't really intend to, to, uh, I don't think, to do anything to limit at least handgun use, um, which is good, but I don't think, the government really hasn't made any significant moves against gun control in a while, have they? Not that I can think of everything. We've gone from one amendment to the next, but you you know a lot more about this than I do. So I just wanted to touch on it briefly because yeah. um, it seems like for all the screaming, a lot of problems could be solved by going into just certain parts of the United States and making sure those parts of the United States didn't have as many guns and leaving other people alone. <laughs> and uh, but. It's, it seems to be one of those things that was like, for years and years, a lot of Republican politicians would pretend, they would say they were going to campaign against Roe v. Wade, but they never really would because they didn't think it would make any difference. So they just, it was a hot potato that was always going to be there, campaign against Roe v. Wade. Um, sort of the counterpart to that from the other side was Democrats always saying they're going to do something about gun control. When do you even see anything about that? I mean, they cover mass shootings and they get mad, but then they just don't even, um, I'm not even sure that seems to be, I mean, I, I'm sure there are plenty of citizens on the ground who'd be happy to ban guns, but I don't ever see any serious legislation going that way. For, and yet people will still vote for the, the people who promise to be gun control advocates, you know, four or five political cycles in a row. So I don't really know what's going on there. Um, you know, in spite of pretty sturdy efforts to portray uh, guns as a universally bad thing and gun owners as universally deranged, that doesn't really seem to have caught on. And maybe some of the wokish people are, would be surprised to know how many people going back a long way that vote Democrat have wanted to have guns too, basically. Not a whole arsenal. They're not mistrustful of everything, although now it's probably a good idea to be mistrustful of more things. Just people who like to have handguns for whatever reason, for whatever good reason. So uh, maybe that's why, but I don't know. You would know more. I haven't really tracked any kind of attempted legislation or legislation in that area. Yeah, most things have been pretty minimal. I know in Oregon in the midterms, um, they passed some sort of like magazine restriction. I think it was they're banning 10 round mags or something, which doesn't really matter. Honestly, like it's it's ridiculous, but it makes people like, I feel like they're doing something. I feel like you just um, can't use the Glock 19. Yeah, I guess basically. so. Even though you can, you can still 3D print a magazine like fairly easily. Like they're they're simple. Like it's not like it's a complicated device. And then and then Biden's talking about like, oh, let's do this assault weapons ban like again because you know he did that before. And like the well, data don't back it up. And then also most murders in the U.S. are happening. Well, these gun murders are happening with handguns, not so-called assault rifles. And so it's like what what you're doing is you're just banning like 
an image of something that's terrifying to you versus actually fixing the problem. Basically, I can, you know, I can see why. And again, it's if the media reports on something in a certain way, of course, these incidents are going to stick in people's minds. If a bunch of kids get killed and it, the weapon was, let's say it had been a rolling pin, you know, you could demonize rolling pin. I mean, I'm yeah. stretching it a bit, but yeah, the disproportionality, um, when you think, well, not just, uh, maybe, maybe you were talking about this before a second ago, but if you add in people who are killed by other kinds of guns that don't make news, there are way more people yeah. killed every day in handgun accidents and suicide. Most people don't kill themselves with automatic weapons. I mean, they might hard. wind up dead <laughs> if they, if they go on a rampage with one, but most people don't carry out automatic weapons or a suicidal, you know, they want to make sure they do it right. You know, two in the head, one in the chest from yourself <laughs> exactly and I, I don't know the whole thing is and i guess we're but kind I, of off topic a little bit, i guess but, my point where i was kind of coming yeah, back to is point? how many how many think tanks have made a lot of money um stumping for promising to control you know get rid of gun availability of one kind or another mm-hmm. if, if that has involved if that has literally translated to either nothing or a meaningless law in oregon Going back my entire lifetime, um, how much? How many millions of dollars? Probably at least a billion now. When you consider all the groups involved in um, taking donations for, you know, anti-gun groups, I don't even know. I haven't. That's one thing I haven't seen any spam from, maybe in forever. But I was just wondering about that one. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting because, like, I have a friend and. And she works at a nonprofit and we're on a run one time talking about it, just like what she does for work and stuff. And I was like, well, are you ever going to fix homelessness? Cause like, that's part of their nonprofit. She's like, no, it's, it's not really possible. It's like, okay. And like, so you're working for an organization that says it's going to end something, but at the same time, you know, it's not possible. But then also if you do end homelessness, you're out of a job. You're going to end the organization. Exactly. You're not going to have any funding at that point. So same thing with, I think with gunmen or, like these gun well, why, why do you think all these white guilt seminars stress the fact that whiteness is incurable? So they you have can, to keep coming back for your for your uh, spiritual boosters. Exactly, you can grift your entire life off of it at that point. 